1: hi there this is julian on love and i'm on a mission to teach people how to transform their romantic relationships by first changing and strengthening the relationship they have with themselves so whether you're in a relationship single or heartbroken i've got you covered i'm julian Tarecki, certified relationship coach and teacher with over 20 years experience helping people transform their relationships with themselves. I have coached and taught thousands to become better versions of themselves and change the way they show up for and within their love lives. Today's episode, I interview Anna Goldstein. Anna Goldstein, we have a actually really interesting history. First of all, she's like an original coach. She became a coach before it was popular and trendy to become a coach. But she also has a very particular significance in my life, which is that she was my neighbor for a few years back when I was married. And the actual day that my husband, my now ex-husband left, she found me sitting outside i was sitting outside in 2014 and i was sitting outside because it was a beautiful june day and i have a dog so i couldn't just stay at home and she found me and she she just saw me sitting there and knew something was wrong and she sat next to me and we ended up talking quite a bit and she made some suggestions to me which actually led me in the direction of one of the most important mentors of my life. And she, even in that conversation said, she asked me, would you ever consider becoming a coach? And I'll never forget looking at her like she had 12 heads thinking like, how can I even think of that? Like, what does that even mean? And I didn't know it at the time, but she had planted the seed in my head that would change my life forever. And so I feel very indebted to her for doing that. And she also became my first coach. And so she helped me through a very difficult time. She planted seeds that would change my life forever. And to this day, I can say that we have the most interesting conversations ever. I mean, we get on the phone And we talk about very deep stuff, like really intense, deep stuff about relationship with self, personal development, growth, being a better person, meditation, yoga, and we talk about some really intense, difficult things. And so I thought, I must have you on my podcast. She's also a podcaster and an author wrote a fantastic book, which is all linked in the show notes. I've been on her podcast before, and I thought, you know what? We really need to talk about what it means to be in a long-term partnership, like what that actually means. And I knew we would just have a fascinating conversation that we just have the kind of talks where you want to be the fly on the wall. And we talked about her journey from being a young woman who felt extremely lost very, very lost and sort of chaotic in her life and did not have her stuff together, so to speak, and especially not in her love life, to the steps that she took to pull herself out of that emotional hole that then led her to her now husband, who she loves dearly. And then we talked about the reality of being in a long-term partnership and how we are confronted with ourselves when we're in a relationship. So whether you're feeling single and lost, whether you've been married for many years and you have kids, this episode is for you. So I can't wait for you to listen. Here we go. Enjoy. Anna, welcome. It's so great to be here. Oh my God. It's so great to have you because I've been on your podcast a couple of times. So this just feels extra special. Thanks for coming. Yeah. Thanks for having me. So I am so excited to talk about (laughs) relationship, surprise, surprise, and love. You know, you and I, we had a conversation yesterday talking a little bit about what we were going to go over today. We're going to go over a lot. But one thing that I wanted to start with was being that you are a coach and you became, and I said this in the intro, you became a life coach before everyone became a life coach (laughs) (laughs) before it was trendy. I would say that I became a yoga teacher before everyone became a yoga teacher, but I definitely became a coach once people were becoming coaches, but you became a coach before it was trendy. And From what I understand, part of your journey into becoming a life coach and deciding that you wanted to be a life coach began, like if we were to talk about the origin story, began in your 20s, also just with you feeling a little stuck or lost in life and how that tied into your beliefs about love and men. So I'd love to just start with you, Anna Goldstein, in her 20s and what was going on for you. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Someone called me a lost puppy. (laughs) And it's pretty much how I felt in my 20s. I think like most people, you know, we kind of have these expectations about what our life is going to look like. And then we arrive after college and there's so much to figure out. So I moved to New York City, not a clue with what I wanted or who I wanted to be, and I got a job teaching tennis, and I knew I didn't want to do it my whole life, but I grew up playing tennis, so I already had this kind of background. I grew up with coaches who coached me, who made a tremendous difference in my life, in my performance on the court, and it really impacted me. And so I taught tennis seven days a week for two years, and I got burnt out. So then I went searching for building my resume, trying to find a job, trying to, quote, unquote, fit into the world. And deep down inside, like I knew that I wanted to help people and I knew that I wanted to have my own business, but I didn't know how and I didn't know where to start. So I uh, got some jobs, many different jobs. I also was single and dating a lot And because my job situation wasn't steady, my financials weren't steady, so I was moving a lot. And so there were these patterns in my life where I couldn't really stay or commit to anything in my life. And this went on for about six years. I moved when I was 22. And by the time I was 28, I think I have 10 jobs, (laughs) lived in like eight different apartments and had no romantic partner. So it was kind of this moment where I knew that I had to look inside and start to examine myself. That was really the turning point for me, pausing and looking inward and saying, okay, if all of these areas in my life are not working, maybe it's something in me. (laughs) And so that was the beginning of that inquiry of maybe it's something in me that I can do. And that started my journey in personal development in healing, you know, really yoga as well. Learning tools really helped me from different angles, really helped me transform my life where I have my own business. I've been married for, let's see, 12 years, no, 11. And, you know, feeling more stable in my home and in my job and in my relationships. So it was definitely a journey. And there was like this transformation that happened. It took time, of course, took about two years for things to calm down. But I, I really just was introspective, committed to introspection for a good solid two years and beyond that, obviously, but that's beginning of my practice.
1: Okay. And then, so how big of a role did I want to find love play in that? Because you said you were (laughs) dating a lot. And so I would imagine nothing really came into fruition that was notable for -hmm. those six years of your life. So in the beginning of your journey of introspection, where you're able to say, okay, I guess maybe the problem is me, you know, maybe it's something that I'm doing, which I think that all journeys, the hero's journey, the heroine's journey, all journeys of transformation begins with the recognition and the acknowledgement that something has to change in ourselves Mm -hmm. rather than something has to change outside of ourselves. So what was your thought process, your belief system about men and love and committed relationship back then and what changed?
0: Well, I think for me, it was a pretty classic one where there's, there's something wrong with me. If this isn't working, then there must be something wrong with me. And so I definitely had this belief that there was something wrong with me. And I realized I was in this like short little, I don't know if I would even call it a relationship, but I realized that there wasn't something wrong with me. The problem was that I was thinking that there was something wrong with me.
1: Okay. Um, can I interrupt for just one second? Cause that's mm-hmm. so huge. It's important that people know that thought, something is wrong with me, is not a unique thought. Mm -hmm. It is a thought that every single person goes through at some point in their lives. And if they're not getting the relationship that they want or the quote unquote partner that they want, then our default is to think there must be something wrong. To jump from there must be something wrong with me to know what's wrong is that I actually believe that there's something wrong with me. That's a jump. What helped you make that jump?
0: Yeah, well, I think... I was already doing so much work on myself. And so I began this practice of becoming aware of thoughts, like recognizing that thoughts aren't who I am and they're not me. And I had a really big habit of negative thinking. Like I would tell myself I was fat. I would tell myself I was ugly, which led to I'm never gonna meet someone, right? Mm. I became aware of these thoughts and how they were impacting me because I wasn't getting the results that I wanted in my life. So the first step was really, I think, You know, I started to learn about the impact that my thoughts were having on my behavior, but I was in this little relationship. And so I had this realization that while I could be with this guy, even though he's not the right match for me, if I didn't believe this thought that there was something wrong with me and I believed in possibility that I could meet my right match, then I probably wouldn't be in this relationship.
1: Was it meditation that helped you come to that logic? No, because it was, that's really logic. Honestly.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: it, it is. You know, the
0: point where meditation came into my life is very interesting because it was the point just before I got married, where mm. I then began having these things that I wanted, but I still felt like a little unsettled and not as happy as I thought I would be. But what helped you to think critically like that? I think it was a combination of yoga, getting in touch with my body, understanding to listen to deeper parts of myself. Also, I was doing acupuncture, which I think helped get more things in alignment energetically like hormonally which helped I think create a clearer thinking path and then also with the combination of spiritual teachings and I'm a big fan of Eckhart Tolle's work just understanding the role I started to really understand these books that I didn't understand before and then I was able to apply them and I started to really enjoy the experimentation of learning about these concepts in a book and applying it directly to my life gave me insight, like, oh, I'm not feeling confident. What am I thinking about myself? And I was going to coaching school, and I also had a coach who was helping me a lot. You know, we really were examining thoughts and the role that it was playing in my life. So it was through that process I think of, simply examination, because I think so often our thoughts are so familiar to us, we don't even notice that we're thinking. And so I began the practice of
1: noticing. Good. That's helpful. Cause I think a lot of people just want to know what the work really means and like how people actually get to that step. So you're in this sort of quasi relationship in your twenties and you're starting to really think critically, meaning like instead of being caught up in the negative thoughts, you're able to observe your thoughts as almost like this separate entity and how it's interfering or how it's actually paving the way for the experience that you're having with this person and that you could either stay because you feel this way about yourself or you can go.
0: In that particular relationship, there are a lot of things happening, but I did end up getting this intuitive like jolt that this wasn't right for me. So I ended up breaking up with him when I had that. And then I began to trust and it was different for me and tell myself different stories about, you know, he exists and how do I align with him and what are the qualities and characteristics I want and need in a partner and what are my top values and getting clear on what that looked like for me instead of just, you know, doing what I thought I should do, which was dating all the time and getting set up and trying to meet someone. I began to live my life and live in accordance to my values as well. And that led me down a different path where I was always like going to bars and trying to meet someone. I didn't really want to drink alcohol and I didn't really want to meet someone at the bar. But I thought that's what I should do. So I figured, let me go to places that align with who I am. Wellness is a big part of my life. So I went to, you know, I <laughs> this is actually really funny and true. I actually got a job. Okay, so I started my business because that was true to me at that time. And I also got a job at Equinox in Soho. And I got a job there because I actually wanted to meet a man. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's actually not a terrible idea, (laughs) True story. (laughs) There's a lot of men who roll through Equinox gyms in Soho, Manhattan. Exactly. So I was like, you know what? I want to meet a man who likes fitness like me, you know? Mm -hmm. Not a bad strategy. It
0: worked. So Mm -hmm. the funny part is that, so I got this job at Equinox. I was in sales. And then one night I decided I would go to this class, this fitness class. I went to this fitness class and... This guy was teaching this class and he had the great energy. And I was like, oh, I really like this guy. Like, he's got good energy. And so I did something I'd never done before. I went up to him and I introduced myself. I said, hi, I'm Anna. I told him that I'm working here and that I have my business on the side, right? And I gave him my business card for my coaching business. He went on my website, filled out the coaching form. And he put that he was engaged. So I was like, okay, like probably not going to be this guy. But he wanted to learn about coaching because, you know, he's in the fitness world. So we met for coffee. And during that time, I met his fiance and took his fitness class again. And I really didn't want to like truck all the way up to the Upper East Side on a cold winter morning. But I said to myself, if you want something different, you have to do something different. So I went to the Upper East Side, went to this fitness class. And then... You know, I'd see him every once in a while in the gym. And then he walked into my office one day and he said, you know, your name's Anna Goldstein. He said, my best friend's name is Jeff Goldstein. And so I said, oh, you know, like, that's great. And in my head, I was thinking, set me up. But I didn't say anything. And then a couple of weeks went by. And Wait, your he, husband
1: has the same last name as you? Like, that's yeah. not. Oh, wow. I didn't know. You did didn't know that? I didn't this story. No.
0: Yeah. So a couple of weeks went by, he called me and he said, can I give Jeff your number? So I said, sure. So I went on a date with Jeff Goldstein and we had the same last name (laughs) and he was very into wellness as well. Although he's not a gym person and like will not step foot in a gym. He likes to exercise outside. But yeah, that's how I actually ended up meeting my partner through Working at Equinox, but not at Equinox.
1: I mean, you basically met Jeff, your now husband, because you decided to make some changes in your life. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: I was very conscious of it too. You know, they were subtle things that almost seemed like not that big of a deal. I remember once like my coach asked me, when was the last time you washed your sheets? In my head, I thought to myself, who cares? No one's sleeping in it but me. And I didn't realize (laughs) I was thinking this way you know? Mm -hmm. And then if I was in a relationship, I would be more responsible of taking care of my home and washing my sheets and making my bed, you know? Mm. And so I realized I was living my life as if nobody else was in it. And so I started making my bed and washing my sheets and doing these things that were subtle, but they had an impact. Or like when I felt resistance to go to the Upper East Side on the cold winter day, I was like, If this is your desire, you're going to overcome these inner obstacles that say, no, you just want to stay home.
1: Yeah, that's huge. So you've been married 11 or 12 years. You have a son. So I think this is a really good segue into marriage, you know, or life partnership. And what, because I think, you know... For those people who are single and want a relationship, people get very understandably focused on how am I going to meet that person? And even you did some things. You said, you know, you'd work at Equinox to find a man. You decided, okay, I'm going to make my bed and change my sheets as if someone was in my life. I'm going to do these things. Number one, to get myself out of my comfort zone because I'm not going to meet him just sitting on my couch resisting the cold weather but also number two, like living my life in such a way where there's almost like an energetic invitation for someone to step into my life. But then you get the person. And of course, in the beginning, there's the honeymoon phase and then there's marriage. And I think that one of the hardest transitions for people to make, and couples to make is that transition from the honeymoon period which could be anywhere between six months sometimes even the honeymoon phase in some ways is like a two-year period you know it can be stretched out what has been so what has been some of the discoveries and awakenings that you've had now being married for 11 years 12 years <laughs> that you think people need to understand because we have this romantic ideal of what a relationship is going to be. We have, I think people fall into two camps. Relationships are hard, so I'm just going to avoid them. But then there's always this internal conflict. Yes, but I want to find that right person. And with that right person, it's going to be easy and all my problems are going to go away. I always tell people that, yeah, you may have to do work and to change yourself to make it so that you meet that quote unquote right person, but you're going to have to do even more work to sustain that right connection.
0: Yeah. I think in the beginning, when things are new and fresh, there's a lot we don't know. There's a lot we don't know about ourselves as well, right? There's a lot we don't know about our partners. And I think fundamentally really being connected to yourself first and foremost and trusting yourself and then also the foundation of a great relationship is trust so that must be there and then i think once those chemicals or whatever it is that glossiness fades like anything it can fade in your job and it will it fades and then you have to deal with what is And so when we're in love, we have this person that's fabricated as this amazing person. And it's not to say that this person isn't amazing, but when that fades, we're dealing with a person who has faults and has shortcomings. And we're also a person who has faults and shortcomings. And we can almost, I don't know, I've had this experience myself. I can almost feel that like that person no longer sees me like this either, So now we're two people in a relationship working together is very different from this fabricated, glorified, romanticized, heightened idea of what this is.
1: You just said something so important. It's not just facing the realization that we're with a flawed human it's facing the realization that we are flawed and that their perception of us is no longer going to be this shiny object or this, you know, very special thing. Like we're going to be found out. Mm -hmm. They're going to see that we're not as cool. We're not as perfect. We're not as amazing. We're not as lovable. One of the things that we talked about yesterday in our conversation that I thought was so impactful is, regardless of where you fall on the self-esteem spectrum, like it doesn't even matter how little or how much one actually loves themselves. You said something yesterday, which is that you feel very safe in your relationship. And I want to circle back to the importance of that and also the pitfalls of that. But even though you feel very safe in your relationship, there's still going to be moments of, wait, do they still love me? Am I still lovable? Do they still see me the same way? Or do they still find me attractive? Even with all that safety, we are confronted with this fear that we're not going to be enough or that someone is going to quote unquote, find out the real us and want to like bolt. I think that might be maybe the hardest obstacle about being in a relationship is feeling those feelings And then not doing those things that we do when we feel those feelings. I would love for you to talk a little bit about that. And I'm sure that from that we can talk about triggers and all of that. Because I think the ultimate trigger for everyone is they're just not going to love me anymore. That fear, which again, if you're in a healthy relationship, I don't think it, it should not be taking over your life. But it doesn't mean that when you're in a healthy relationship or when you're married, that that fear totally goes away.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think fundamentally, and I know you know this too, is that we're always looking for like, am I safe? And in that safety, we need love, right? So it's like, am I loved? Am I safe? Am I loved? Am I safe? It's almost this constant survival Thing that's always happening underneath all of this, right? I think that love is never the same. And I think that's really hard to adjust to. Like the love that I had with Jeff in the beginning is, yeah, there are parts that are still there, but the love is different. When things change, it's hard to adapt and we compare how come it isn't like how it was in the beginning, right? So then if we're comparing and it's lacking then something's wrong it's not wrong it's just a new level and I think that there's many different levels and there's many different phases and and there's an ebb and flow to it too like we're not the same every day like your yoga practice isn't the same every day you know there's this constancy of change which is really difficult I think to adjust to being like where is that steadiness of I'm loved For me, in my marriage, and it's all I really know, is that it's a feeling of love that's deeper sense of love that's always there, which does create this safety of I can be myself, I can fall apart. And even though it's hard, I know you'll still be there.
1: Let's talk a little bit, though, about that, because I think on the other side of that is the habit that most of us fall into on some level is we get comfortable with someone, we feel safe with them. And then little by little, if we're not conscious, we start to unravel and we let stress get the best of us, or we bring home our cranky mood to them all the time. And we unravel, they unravel, and then all of a sudden you have a relationship that, actually isn't that safe anymore because both people are not being conscious about at least trying to most of the time be their best selves in some way.
0: Yeah. Well, I think it's natural to unravel. I think it's what we all fear. And we present this persona in the beginning that we, how we want to be and who we want to be, but we, Mm -hmm. over time we do unravel. And I think, Having a third party involved can be very helpful when that happens. You know, the therapist, coach. coach, somebody there to work through that. We have to be discerning of like, where is the safety? And if it really is an unsafe situation, then we need to take some type of action that's maybe getting out of the relationship. but. Where there's unraveling, there should be love there too. And so it's a different level of love, right? It's like, I can unravel and still be loved. Is like, wow.
1: I agree. I agree.
0: That's the vulnerability of being able to be unraveled and somebody be there and, you know, or have an issue and work through it. And love is being able to work through those challenges because you're going to have them. And I think... We don't think that we're going to, especially in the beginning. But it's like, how do you learn to work through those challenges when you are unraveled? I think that's really like the beginning of the real relationship, where it actually becomes a relationship either that's going to work or it's not.
1: The real relationship begins when there is unraveling and how you work through it. That's what I first want you to get to. And then I'm curious to know... What you believe is an appropriate amount of unraveling in terms of like, where is the line where we're unraveling too much versus when we need to be able to unravel with our partner, we need to be able to be real and to not be perfect and to be loved anyway.
0: At some point, if you're in a committed relationship, you're going to hurt the other person and you're going to feel pain from the other person, too. So it's. Some of it is repair, right, is being able to own your side of the street, which when you're hurt, it's really hard because it's easy to point the finger and said you say you did something wrong, you know, and it's hard to look at ourselves and take responsibility for pain that we've created, especially when we love someone. And I think I'm sorry is very difficult to say a lot of the time, you know, it's like we can dance around these other words of I made a mistake. I didn't mean to do that. That wasn't my intention, you know, but really owning your side of the street and saying, I'm sorry, I hurt you. I shouldn't have said this, that, or the other, or I made a mistake. I'm sorry. Why is it so hard to
1: apologize in a relationship?
0: Well, I want to believe that we're good as you know, I've studied a lot of Buddhism and the core of it is that we are good. We have these delusions that kind of take over our minds. And so when we love somebody, we want to be good to them and we want them to be good to us. And I do believe that when people are in a relationship, the intention is good, but our behavior isn't always We're people we're going to make mistakes, we're going to be delusional, we're going to hurt the other person. And I think it's really hard to own that we've hurt somebody that we love. And it's scary to acknowledge that I hurt you because I do think most of the time people don't mean to. They're just deluded by some other thing, trauma, whatever it might be, because it feels good to be good. And it feels great to love. And so when we aren't our best, we also hurt ourselves. When I do something wrong, I feel bad about myself. I feel shame too. So to own that and to say, you know, I'm sorry I was wrong, it's painful. We want to avoid pain. And it's hard for us to take responsibility for creating pain.
1: Yeah, you just said it. But yet... It is the basis of repair, is accountability, isn't it?
0: I think it's really important. I think I'm sorry is really important things to say. As a mother, I apologize to my son when I've yelled. I want him to know that it was my fault or I did something wrong that I shouldn't have done. It's much clearer for me to see it as a mother, you know, in these conscious relationships for some reason, to say I'm sorry because his ability to let's say argue with me is much less complicated than an adult human right Mm -hmm. so he can only do so much like maybe it's you know he acts out a little bit but he's not verbally saying things and I can be more aware of oh I verbally was too loud in my tone and be aware of that
1: it's easier for you to be more conscious in your relationship with your son because he doesn't, I don't think that he would challenge you. I mean, children can be very challenging, but they're not going to challenge your ego in the way that someone who you're in love with will in the way that your husband would be able to.
0: Yeah. And the love is different. I mean, the love, the child needs me. Yes. Where sometimes in a partnership, it's like either one could walk away. When a child is a child, it needs a parent, right? So the child knows that. And so the child is constantly looking for love and approval from the parent. And so it's a little bit easier for me to see that I've yelled at you and I'm sorry. And I want him to learn that as I'm not a perfect parent. I'm not trying to be a perfect human being and that we can forgive, and we can make mistakes, and you can still be loved.
1: Yes. So I'd like to talk a little bit about being triggered and managing and changing our reactivity to a trigger so that we are more responsive, which really is I think the basis of this now very popular term, emotional regulation, you know, everyone is throwing this around nervous system, emotional regulation. Really it's the ability to not be number one, triggered by every small thing. And number two, when we are triggered to be able to step back and not just always react from an emotional place, being that you have a mindfulness practice, being that working on yourself and has been a huge part of your life since your 20s and being that, being in a relationship is going to challenge us in this way probably more than anything. I mean, we'll get challenged like this by family and by the mm-hmm. person we're romantically involved with. So how has mindfulness and your personal practices, how does it help you in your marriage? And what are some of the challenges that you still face today that you are grappling with? This is really the key to the work. It really is. It is the key. <laughs> it is the key. <laughs> yeah.
0: It's something I'm working on always. You know, I think we talked about this yesterday too, Jillian. I think when we find ourselves triggered often, there's either resentment there or there's a lot of fatigue
1: or hunger (laughs) or hunger physical hunger yeah or
0: overwhelm stress I I notice that if I'm tired and having a child and being a parent is there's constant almost busyness you know there's spaces where there is more downtime but I find that sometimes I can look at Jeff, my partner, and think to myself, you're tired, you're hungry, and this is affecting the mood. And I can notice it in myself too. Now, sometimes there's a reaction there because of those, you know, how can I say conditions of tired, hungry, overwhelmed stress, but we're going to get triggered. The key is to slowly look at, and I think this requires a lot of reflection, When you do get triggered, first, it's noticing that you got triggered. Sometimes when I get triggered, I am aware that I am out of control. Once I've kind of gone into the trigger, I'm aware that I'm out of control right now, (laughs) you know, and I might be saying But that's
1: major self-awareness. People who have a lot of relationship pain with all kinds of relationships, Mm -hmm. they're not aware of when they're out of control.
0: Yeah, it's very interesting to be aware that you're out of control. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's really like being able to have that awareness by your side. And then slowly that awareness creates some space, even if it's subtle. There's a little bit more space of, okay, I'm out of control and I see that. Right. And sometimes you can continue to watch yourself be out of control. Then later, when you're triggered, the intensity of the emotion is so strong. And so, you know, I know that my intensity of the trigger is not going to last more than 24 hours at this point. But, you know, maybe in the past it used to last a lot longer. But for me, I know in 24 hours I'm going to feel different. And in 48 hours, I'm absolutely going to feel different. And I'm going to see things differently than in this moment. So I'm also aware that this is going to change, even though the feeling is so intense, it feels like it's not going to change. And then using reflection, okay, like what triggered me? Where is this coming from? What is this really about? And using that inquiry to gain in information of maybe I feel like I'm being controlled by my partner and I felt like my mom was very controlling You know, and I feel like I don't have power, and so I got really angry. Okay, well, the next time my partner does what they just did that triggered me, how could I handle it differently? And you can start to create a new mental map where your mind now has a new place to go. There's a saying, you can't change the old wiring, but you can create new ones. So you have to actually recreate the pattern to create a new one. And so there are so many layers to this, But first, it's just noticing that you're triggered, reflecting on the trigger, trying to dig deeper into inquiry of why you got triggered, and then creating that new mental map of how you would like to show up. And then it's really fun and it feels really empowering when, you know, your partner does something that triggered you and you're able to respond differently. Then you feel great. And I've noticed too that like sometimes I can do this really well and then I run out of energy because being conscious requires a lot of energy. So sometimes I can do this really well for a while and then it kind of fades and then I have to come back to the practice. Like, okay, yeah, I need to remind myself I fell
1: in again. So I think it's the constant work. Okay. So this is, there's two things. One is creating a map of how you want to be in a relationship Is so key. And I really hope people are taking extra note of this, which is that we do decide who wants to show up in the relationship. And we do have to create that vision or that map of who do I want to be in this relationship? Regardless of their behavior, who do I want to be in this relationship? Do I want to be more fun and lighthearted? Do I want to be more communicative? Who do I want to be in this relationship? And I think that that ultimately is also one of the keys because it begins with that vision. All right. I'm reacting to everything. I'm totally triggered. I feel badly about myself. I know this is not who I want to be in a relationship. So who do I want to be? Okay. So I got triggered. What is that about? Okay. Mommy did that to me a long time ago. Anytime something is not working in a relationship, I'm curious to know what your thoughts on the statement I'm about to make right now. Pretty much, and maybe it's all the time. I have to think about this more. Maybe we could flesh it out together. Anytime something is not going well in our relationship, it's because we are projecting. We're projecting our past we're projecting mommy we're projecting daddy we're projecting our past could be our, again our childhood it could be a past relationship we are projecting something that we're struggling with in ourselves we say oh no they're the ones who are doing it they're the ones who are always moody when really i'm the moody one they happen to be moody today so i'm going to blame them so anytime there is true discord in a relationship it is the result of some sort of projection. What do you think of that? Well,
0: I love when you make statements, Jillian.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just, you know, it's something I've been contemplating for yeah, a while. And I don't like to say such sweep, because I think there's so much nuance yeah. to everything. But I think that there's some truth to this. I think Freud talked about this. I yeah, mean, this, this is I, not something that I just made up by any stretch of the imagination. Of but I do think that, We are constantly projecting and it does take a lot of work to be conscious. Mm -hmm. And this is the second thing that I wanted to step into, which is because this is a lot. We'll talk about projection, Mm -hmm. but I don't want to forget, which is in the pursuit of being more conscious. One of the things that we have to watch out for is getting too inside our heads and forgetting To have fun and be in the present moment. So let's talk about projection first because I'm just curious to know your thoughts. And then let's talk about since you have such a rich history in Buddhism and meditation and mindfulness and you're a fan of Eckhart Tolle, let's talk about the present moment because I think people are just way too much in their heads myself included, and people are just not having like fun with each other anymore. And that's a big problem in long-term relationships in particular.
0: Yeah. Okay. So I do think that, you know, I'm going to use what, I know you're so well studied and well-read and you know all this stuff so well. I think that From what I've studied in Buddhism, what you might call projection is delusion. And there's a saying, no two people see the same reality. Like your reality, Jillian, of this interview might be different from my reality of this interview, which might be different from someone listening to this interview. No two people are actually seeing the same thing at all times, all of the time, which is very confusing because we also think that things are this way, or this is this way, or because I think this way, everybody else thinks this way too. Exactly. And so I think that makes it really challenging. And there's a Wayne Dyer quote, we don't see things as they are, we see things as we are. I think that's what you're talking about, projection. And this was really clearly illustrated to me It's just a cute story when Evan was like, I don't know, maybe he was three or four in preschool, he did this assignment for Mother's Day, you know, all about your mom. And he was like, my mom loves hot sauce. She puts hot sauce on everything. And he started going on this thing about hot sauce. And I was like, wow, that's so interesting. He's seeing me how he is, not how I am. Do you and like so hot
1: sauce or not? Is that I like I do.
0: I do, but I don't put it on everything. Right, right. You know, I put it on like, you know, a few things, but it's interesting <laughs> to see his perception, how yeah. he takes one thing and it becomes Everything. And so we do that. We take a piece and we turn it into a story. Oh, he didn't give me a kiss in the morning. Does he still love me? We start projecting this. Oh, why did he change? He used to do this. Now he's not doing this. And we start to, you know, create all these stories, none of them, which might be true. Right, and a that's lot of the, the getting time, in the
1: headpiece, yeah,
0: yeah, and a lot of the time, what happens is, you know, when there's an argument, two people are seeing could be the same thing very differently, and it's really hard sometimes to come to an agreement, and it's fascinating because we could be looking at the same thing, but that's really where the understanding and learning, if we can learn. Oh, isn't that interesting? That's your view. Rather than taking everything so personally, sometimes even sharing, well, the story I have about this is, yes. right? Which then you can start to see your projection. Yeah. But yeah, it's usually coming from some other place a lot of the time. It's
1: difficult. It's coming from our past and our pain. One of the most important communication skills is the willingness and the curiosity to truly understand the person who we are speaking to. In other words, like you said, this idea of delusion and everyone has their own reality. Not only does everyone have their own perception of the same thing, but everyone has their own Reality. In other words, we are all raised differently. Therefore, we all have a different relationship with money, with family, with the world. There are some people who you know, they'll say, why is this person always stressed out? They're always stressed out because their job is really stressful and they don't have the luxury to be able to leave their job because if they leave their job, then they don't have family to back them in any way financially. So they have a lot of insomnia, Because they're always worried about money, whereas you could be someone who doesn't have to worry about money, but all you're seeing is my partner, this person I'm in a relationship with, my spouse, whatever, is stressed out all the time, or this person I'm dating is stressed out all the time, and then we judge instead of trying to really understand them. You know, we go into a relationship and we will always have this fear of what if... They stop loving me? Mm -hmm. What if their feelings change about me? Not to mention, what if they're just different, but what if they feel, what if what they see in me Mm -hmm. disappoints them? Since we all have this fear in a relationship, something that I have seen a lot of is that when we don't know how to manage that fear, or we're with someone who's always provoking that fear in us then we become very protective of ourselves. We want to close our hearts. We get obsessed with getting our needs met. And then to bring back the apology, it's hard to say I'm sorry because also when we say that we're sorry, we are admitting to a failure. In that moment, admitting to our flaws. And so somehow I think that when we say sorry on a subconscious level, we're afraid that person is no longer going to see us the same way. How, how do we, as someone who's been in an 11 year marriage and a Mm -hmm. relationship that's even longer than that, how do we mitigate that fear of not being enough with not making it all about us and our fear And also recognizing that there's another human being here that we need to give to, that we need to love, that we need to seek to understand. And it's not just about, now I have to protect myself.
0: Yeah, I think the thing about relationships is there are many different layers because it might be true that somebody really did hurt you. And while that might have happened it's really difficult not to become the victim to that story and to acknowledge that did happen. I like to have a multi-angled approach. So what was going on with that person that behaved that way that hurt you? Because usually in that story where we feel like they did something to us and we're the victim— This is abuse
1: aside. We're not talking about abuse, just so listeners know. Yeah, not extreme
0: situations. But usually within that story, there is some pain that they experienced, to use your word, that they projected onto you. And it's really helpful when the trigger has subsided to look back and look at it from many different meanings. Sure, that person did that to you, But maybe it was because they were hurt by their dad and that's all that they knew and they had the best intentions. And then it starts to depersonalize some of that. I think looking at it from many different angles is always helpful. There's a story about like this boy on the playground, his name's Johnny, and these girls walk by and they laugh and they look back at him and Johnny makes it mean they're laughing at me. Like, I did something that was stupid. Same situation. Johnny's on the playground. These three girls walk by. They laugh. They look at him. Johnny makes it mean. They think I'm cute, Mm -hmm. right? Mm
1: -hmm. Then we
0: find out that these three girls were having their own joke. It had nothing
1: to do with Johnny. We always think it's about us.
0: Personalize it, you know? And so I think like, I'm big into almost like, I want to use the word dissecting it. Okay. There's someone else involved. What's their part? What's my part? And then where are these parts coming from? And then you can start to see more with clarity. And then at the root of it is what do I make these things mean? And then what happens is then we form these beliefs. Let's say, you've had situations where men were mean to you and bad experience, men are jerks. And now you start to see anytime, like a guy doesn't hold the door for you, you see men are jerks and we start to filter our lives through these beliefs. So it's always, I call it updating your operating system. Like you wanna look, if you notice a pattern, a theme in your life, what are the operating beliefs there? And those beliefs very well might be partially true and have happened or maybe they're completely true and happened but they're not the only belief and so it's to examine is this beneficial to believe this is this beneficial for me or my life and then to start to cultivate what would be a beneficial belief that is supportive of my desire and let me look for evidence in my life to prove this belief to be true All of a sudden, I notice someone picked up trash and put it in the trash can. Some guy, oh, there's some nice men around. And so to start to change these beliefs and update them, not based on your past, but in present reality and where your desire is, where you want to go.
1: What have you seen personally through your own experience and also with working with so many people to be like the top two or three beliefs that have colored a person's ability to truly connect with someone else romantically for the long term? What do you think are like the two or three biggest beliefs that have limited people to be able to have healthy relationships?
0: Yeah, I think for everybody, it's a little bit different, to be honest with you. I think a lot of it has to do with your parents and your parents' relationships and the beliefs that you formed about relationships because of what you observed as a child. You know, I had a client whose parents got divorced. Her mom was an alcoholic and she decided she never wanted to get married. She was like, I don't want to get married. My parents got divorced. You know, my mom's an alcoholic, drama there. You know, we uncovered that she wanted to be in a partnership and wasn't at the time. And so we started talking a lot about her values. What are your core values? What are things that are really important to you that you need to have? You know, she got very clear on her values. Turns out this guy that she worked with had been pursuing her for a long time. He was much older than her, divorced had kids of his own, and she had all these ideas that were preventing her from seeing him. And once she got clear on her values, she actually saw her values in this man, and she was then able to see that, okay, I'll go out with him. And now they're married, and she wasn't sure if she wanted to have a child either because she had this home that was very disruptive, but now she has a child, and she's very happy and glad with her decisions. I think it's really examining the beliefs from your family. And I think also the other belief is what partnership should look like for you.
1: Yes, I think that something that we are all faced with is we need to understand how we've been viewing love and partnership, like what it means to love someone. And actually, this was a question that I had told you that I wanted to ask you today and that I want to ask basically anyone who's a guest on this show is... What does it actually mean to you personally, and I challenge everyone to answer this for themselves, to love someone because we know what it's like to feel love. We know what it's like to feel the lust and the falling in love stage. What is presented to us through art, literature, film, TV, is the falling in love stage. It's love being this feeling, this intoxicating feeling. I believe love is a verb. I believe it's a practice. And I think that when one is in a longer term relationship, that becomes extremely evident. Instead of just thinking about love is this thing where everything is great and I feel good all the time and, you know, all of that. What is it to you? What does it mean to you to actually love someone? I think it's a force
0: that allows us to overcome challenges and to become better and want to do better and show up better for ourselves, for our lives. I think it requires commitment. It requires choosing love over and over again. And it requires friendship on a very basic level, being on the same team. At the end of the day, you guys are here to root for each other, to do the best in life. And I think that's really important to know that this person has your back despite what has happened or is happening, that you guys are on the same team and you're joint in that commitment and you're willing to do whatever it takes to make things better as much as you can.
1: And then something I just wanted to quickly circle back to is this idea of being accepted for who you are in a relationship and this idea of, being able to unravel and not be that perfect person. I'll be a little dramatic in my language here. There's nothing more dangerous than the projection of the ideal onto someone mm-hmm. than putting someone on a pedestal. Cause if you're on a pedestal, you're going to fall off. And if you're constantly dating people who view love as this idyllic feeling you're going to mm-hmm. get your heart broken. And if you're someone who only sees it as an idyllic thing, you're not going to have a healthy relationship if we're constantly projecting the ideal. So we have to be able to unravel and be raw and be loved anyway. I think everyone has this deep craving to be seen in all our messiness and to be loved anyway anyway. And I do really believe that is so important. But every belief has another side to it. And that is, yes, you deserve that. But you also have a responsibility to not be always unraveling. Mm -hmm. And I think that this is one of the hardest things, conundrums, of relationship with self and relationship with other that we need to reconcile. And I'm curious to know your thoughts on that.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I think that, you know, we we have to try to find this middle path. I think for women especially, I'm not a man, so I can't speak for men, but I hear a lot of perfectionism holding people back, you know, or wanting to present ourselves perfectly or feeling like we need to be perfect and then we can be in a relationship, yeah. right? And so working with that self-acceptance, right? And there's all this talk of like, you need to accept yourself fully or love yourself fully before you're in a relationship. That's not realistic. You know, we're, we're humans. In my work, I talk a lot about confidence, is being able to sit in that vulnerability and to be unraveled and to be by your own side, first and foremost, to let yourself be loved, And to then have somebody who can work with you through that and you do the same for that person, I mean, we're not perfect. So to have ourselves be perfect or to expect our partners to be perfect or to expect our relationship to be how we glorified it is completely unrealistic and we're setting ourselves up Definitely. And I think, you know, I just talked to an old client who I reconnected with who wasn't in a relationship when we were talking was not. And now she is. And they went to a Tony Robbins event together. And she was like, we kind of just put it all out there. And, you know, I told him all my stuff and he told me all my stuff and we're still together. And I think there's something to be said about like, not like completely unraveling of let me tell you I've met people who, like, immediately,
1: like, pour their trauma out. To be clear, the unraveling that I'm referring to is just, like, not having it together.
0: Yeah, it's human. It's like, it's being human. I'm not a perfect person. That was a big part of what kept partnership away for me, is that I wanted to be perfect. I wanted Mm. them to see me perfect. I wanted to, you know, have the perfect body and the perfect hair and everything perfect so that I would be loved. And if you get too close to me, you're going to find out. that I'm not perfect and I'm messy. And that's scary. And I think having conversations that are truthful really help dissolve this perfection, idealistic view. Cause we're also living in an Instagram world where couples are posting things and then we find out later that they're divorced. And you know, and it's like, what? You Mm -hmm. just posted your anniversary photo. Mm -hmm. We don't know what's going on. And people have problems. Relationships create more problems. But problems are part of life. And it's learning to work with problems. You don't want too big of problems, obviously. But sometimes there will be big problems. Because it's life. You lose your job or something tragic happens. And it changes you when these big events happen. And then it's like, how do we work through problems? What are your skills to problem solve?
1: Yeah, I think that's huge. The distinction that I wanted to draw, and then we can wrap this up soon because I know you're, you know, time is precious, especially when you have a child. But I think that the distinction that I was trying to make is we need to be able to be real and have problems and not be perfect and be loved anyway and be messy sometimes. We can't just bring our foul mood home to our partner all the time. We can't just sit on the couch all day long. Like we could do that when we're single, but that's not going to actually fly in a relationship. Like we have to actually push ourselves to show up, you know, to find joy internally, to be able to bring some of that to the table.
0: So I want to, I want to inject here.
1: Yeah, please. Because
0: when we have had some discourse or, let's say, argument or something's gone wrong or we've been p- presented by a challenge, going back to the definition of love is like you're saying, like, check out a little bit and just be like, I don't care. I'm unraveled. And what I notice in myself and in Jeff, my partner, is that we both actually step up when something, mm. quote unquote, has been damaging or destructive to our relationship, we'll do something that is very constructive afterwards. And what I mean by that is that might be doing the dishes or doing the laundry or helping out or cooking the other person a meal where you actually want to level up and do better versus completely unravel and fall apart. I think that's the distinction is that like, when something has been damaged, that you actually feel inspired or want to show up better. I think that's very important rather than, eh, whatever, I'm going to throw in the towel and now this person knows and I can get away with all this stuff.
1: Or just continue to blame or whatever. Yeah. I think that's huge. I think that might be one of the most important things we discussed today. There's some sort of discourse, whatever cause that discourse is irrelevant but something happens and then you're motivated to step up and to level up. That's huge.
0: I think that's I think that's what keeps it going. And I think that's what, you know, you asked me what it is to love someone. I think that's really when I was talking about be better, that it's not just about the apology, it's also about showing up and doing something for your partner that shows that you're committed. There's Mm. some actual action of taking responsibility for the home, making plans, doing something that brings the connection back together.
1: Yes, that's huge and very, very important because actions really do speak louder than words. Yeah. Final question for you. How important do you think fun is in a relationship? Oh, having I think fun. fun
0: is so important. You know, there was a period of time after I had Evan, who's my son, I, I wasn't having fun. <laughs> I was tired. And, you know, initially it was like, okay, you know, it's initial transition, but it kind of
1: lingered. It went on a little longer. than <laughs> A then little
0: longer. And then I was like, okay, I'm getting older. And I'm not having fun. And I decided that fun was one of my top values. And I actually changed a lot of my life in accordance to this value. We ended up moving to Florida, being closer to the beach. I I realized that if you're not having fun, then why do it? And Mm -hmm. it's like anything that you have a relationship with. It's not always going to be fun, but you can add fun to it. And it's an attitude. You know, it's a lightheartedness. It's a laughter. It just makes everything better because let's face it, life is hard. It's hard to be human. The first noble truth in Buddhism is the truth of suffering. We have suffering in our heads, in the world. We're not denying that. But I love to laugh at the, how can I say like in a nice way, like, the not great things about myself right mm-hmm. i can be a slob sometimes and i don't mean to be but like you know <laughs> there's my trail it's uh-huh. like you you got to have a little bit i think fun is so important i think it's important for our life and i think it's important for relationships and yeah i love to have fun
1: <laughs> oh i think it's yeah i think it's medicine yeah sometimes i work with couples and i say you know honestly you just need to have more fun together Stop taking life so damn seriously. And and
0: if you're single, stop waiting for a partner to have fun. To have
1: fun. Yes. You know? Absolutely. What's fun to you? Go do that. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. Let's talk a little bit about your book because you wrote this book, Be Bold, A Guide to Unbreakable Confidence, which is a great book and such a poignant and easy read too. You know, it's not complicated, but it's so, so impactful. What motivated you to write that?
0: Yeah, thank you for that. I appreciate that. I tried to make all these concepts that I've learned that have been so useful for me and tools that I use with my client. I try to really keep things simple because when things are more simple, they're easier to execute. But for me, it was chapter one is the voice in your head and it's where we started in this conversation. First, we need to recognize the negative thoughts that we have and the impact that they have on our life and our actions and behaviors and what ends up happening in our life. And so that was really transformational for me. But I also studied a lot of different teachings and tools. So I really take the reader on a journey from recognizing the voice in their head to building this identity of confidence because, and we have this myth about confidence as well. That's like, when you're confident, you have it all together and you're not faulted and you can do anything and you're not afraid. And if only I had confidence, then I would do this and this. But the truth is that confidence people just relate to their insecurities differently. They relate to fear differently. They still have it. They don't let it stop them. And as we've talked about, like being vulnerable requires you to have some level of confidence that you're going to be okay, you know, and you can let go a little bit where you don't have to be so stiff and that some people who are super extroverted are insecure. So we have some confusion about this confidence identity. And so it's really an internal recognition that you're a good person and coming back to the good qualities because it's so easy to look in the mirror and look at your faults. And it's so easy to see where our shortcomings are and we forget all the good that we have. And so it's really coming back home to starting with where you are with what you have, that confidence is a seed that's already there within you. And to recognize that it's something that can grow and through being courageous and learning, I think how to be courageous builds that confidence. Like, oh, I took that risk and I realized I was okay. Okay, I made eye contact with that person. I said, hello to that person. You know, where you start to build this confident identity.
1: Yeah. It's like a muscle you have to build a muscle. Yeah. Well, Anna, I am just so honored and thrilled that you were able to join me today and have this conversation with me. As I mentioned to everyone, you really are the person, you are the person who planted the seed in me. I mean, in 2014 to become a coach. You were the first coach I ever worked with. And you helped me through the darkest time of my life. And here we are today talking on each other's podcasts. <laughs> you just have so much to offer. And again, people need to know that you are like one of the OG life coaches. <laughs> so where can people find you? I just
0: want to say it's an honor to be here, Jillian. And I'm so proud of you and mm. all you've accomplished and watching you grow has just been amazing. So it's such an honor to be on your platform. And I'm so proud of you. Thank you. But if you want to find out more about me, you can go to my website. It's annagoldstein.com. And on there, it has my book and more information about me, a couple links to, I have a course and a podcast and yeah. Are you taking more clients right now? I am taking clients right now. So if you want a free consult, there's a link on there.
1: Yeah. I highly recommend that to people big time. So until next time, Anna, I think we gave people a lot to think about and I appreciate you. Thank you, Jillian. I appreciate you too. Thanks, Anna. This episode was titled From Single and Lost to Marriage with Anna Goldstein. And this was just such a powerful conversation so if you know anyone or maybe you know a few people who could benefit from listening to this episode please share it with them because it's these little things we never know whose life we could be seriously helping and impacting just by hitting send or hitting share so I thank you for listening if you have any comments or questions about this episode or anything else, please feel free to reach out to hello at jillianonlove.com. Please rate and review and subscribe. Until next time, and thank you for listening. Jillian on Love is a Q Code production. Executive produced by David Henning and Steve Wilson. Produced by Ryan Countshouse. Edited in music by Will Tendy. Are you ready for the ultimate Love Island experience? Join us on After the Island. We're going back to where it all began, Fiji. Love Island USA Season 5 is making a splash on Peacock right now. And guess what? Your favorite recap show is back too. Welcome to After the Island. Join us as real-life besties and co-hosts, Elizabeth. And Alex. As we deep dive into each sizzling episode of Love Island USA. We'll spill the tea, interview contestants, answer fan questions, and give you unprecedented behind-the-scenes access to the wildly popular world of Love Island. Don't miss a single moment of the drama, romance, and unforgettable Island vibes. Listen to After the Island on any streaming platform.
0: Hey guys, Heather Ashley here, host of the Big Mad True Crime Podcast. If you're looking for a true crime podcast with all of the details and none of the small talk, you have found your people.